Thank you for that prayer. Shine on us. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, We are continuing, uh, as the lectionary guides us, to look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, uh, something we don't always do after Easter. Sometimes we rush on to other things. But when we want to linger around the resurrection and recognize this season of Easter tide and recognize that we need to take a sustained look at the miracle of Christ conquering death. And in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning in verse 36 and reading through verse 49. But before we do that, I invite us to a time of silence and to a time of prayer. Bow with me, please. Eternal Spirit, we step into the silence together, and there we find you waiting for us to instruct and to guide and to comfort. We pray your blessing and comfort upon all who are grieving, all who are ill today, all who are struggling with huge issues, and those especially who feel like there are no answers and no way out. Would you be the great physician and the guide and the liberator in all of our struggles. We acknowledge our sin before you. We acknowledge our poor choices, our lack of love, our arrogance, our pushing you away. We pray that as you forgive us, that that you would just cleanse us and fill us with your spirit. We pray today for nations in conflict, for places of violence within our own nation and within the world, for those who work in law enforcement, and serve in the military, that you protect them and bless them. We ask God for justice in a world that is is so rife with hunger and loneliness and injustice. Would you be working in our world, we pray. We ask God that you bring us to full attention as we hear your gospel and interact with the risen Christ this morning. Guide our thinking and our doing, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand as I read aloud from Luke's Gospel, chapter chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of the prophets, the law law of Moses and the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins 
is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning with a quote from Eugene Peterson, who always has some insightful something to say to us. This is sort of startling, and, uh, and uh, it, it takes us up short and, and is, uh, is abrupt. The greatest errors in the spiritual life are not committed by novices, but by the veterans. The greatest capacity for self-deceit in prayer comes not in the early years, but in the middle and later years. Wow. The greatest errors in the spiritual life, not committed by novices, but by veterans. The greatest self-deceit in prayer doesn't happen early in the stages of the Christian journey, but after we've been at it a while. That is sort of uh, eye-opening, isn't it? And I would suggest that one of the reasons for our errors as we walk continually in the Christian life is that we lose the sense of wonder. We lose the sense of wonder that Jesus, the risen Christ, is actually walking among us. We lose the sense of wonder that Jesus, the risen cosmic Christ, is actually living in our hearts. We, we somehow have lost both the terror and the delight of the Christian journey. The terror and delight that take our breath away that remind us that something supernatural has happened in us and is happening among us. And when we lose that sense of wonder, that sense of terror and delight, something is really wrong. Did you notice how careful the witness of Scripture is to point out to us that it's Jesus himself, the one who had walked on earth, who is standing among them now declaring his resurrection? It's Jesus, the one who'd been crucified. In fact, it's an intensive formation of a Greek sentence. While they were standing there, Jesus himself stood among them, as if to say, Jesus, not an imposter. Jesus, not a stand-in. Jesus, not a stunt double. Jesus himself is standing among them. And the reaction. You know, one of the things that amazes me about these post-resurrection appearances is the disciples' responses are so varied and so broad. For example, uh, look at these, terrified and startled. I think we have it on the screen there. Terrified and startled, I think it's there. Verse 37, frightened with doubts, verse 38, full of joy, disbelieving and wondering, verse 41. All of these range of emotions and responses by the disciples... Because you know, don't you, that we are capable within our hearts of having more than one emotion at the same time. We're capable of having more than one response at the same time. We can be disbelieving and yet trusting. We can be frightened and yet joyful. We can be terrified and yet delighted. Terrified and delighted. All of those things as the risen Christ, the living Jesus, the risen one standing among them. A powerful image. Now, every one of the Gospels that bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus 
likes to focus on the physicality of Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances. In other words, he was still a human body. We talked about this last week from John chapter 20. In fact, there's a lot of similarity. As in John 20, Jesus stands among them miraculously and says, peace be with you. As in John 20, Jesus uh, stands before them and says, look at my scars, the scars in my physical body. And then Luke now takes it a step further. After Jesus has, has said to them, offered to them the invitation, check out my body, the real scars, this is really me. There's this, uh, in my own mind, I imagine it a pause, and Jesus says, you got anything to eat around here? I'm starving. And he eats fish in front of them. In Jewish thought, ghosts do not need sustenance. In the Jewish thought of Jesus' day, apparitions and ghosts do not need food. They do not need to eat. Why is this important? Because Luke is telling us this is no apparition. This is no ghost. This is no, this is no some kind of uh, invisible spirit. This is Jesus in the flesh, and he's eating fish. And you know why that's important? Because ghosts don't require anything of us. Jesus does. Apparitions don't ask anything of us. Jesus does. Jesus, the risen one, physically alive from the dead, stands in the midst of his disciples and stands in our midst and makes requirements of us. In fact, he invites us to relationship. He invites us to eat with him, to be with him, and to do life with him. And ghosts just aren't interested in a relationship. Invisible spirits are just not interested in doing life with us. But Jesus is. I have to tell you that um, as I plot the spiritual autobiography of my own life, as I look back on uh, the time when I really got serious about Jesus, as I look back on the time when Jesus really began to change my life and move me in a new direction, it was precisely the moment when I began to realize that what Jesus wanted from me was not some Sunday hobby. What Jesus wanted from me was not an every week visit. But what Jesus was requiring of me was a real intense relationship. That he was inviting me to to eat with him and to be with him and to do life with him and that everything in my life came under this risen Christ's lordship. That everything in my life had something to do with Jesus or that Jesus had something to do with every part of my life. And that's when real change happened. That's when blessings began to be experienced. That's when life became really real and exciting and purposeful. Now, as I talk about a personal Savior and a personal relationship with a Savior, we don't want to go too far in that direction to make the Christian walk too subjective too emotion-laden, too, too, uh, too much focus on feelings or the affective. Because there's an interesting counterbalance in this scripture. 
that just as there is a subjective side to our faith, a personal relationship with a living Christ, there is an objective side to this. There's a cognitive side to this. There is a mental side to this because Jesus immediately after he asks for something to eat, after he eats the fish, then starts talking to them about Scripture. He says, I spoke to you earlier while I was still with you that everything, this is verse 44, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And I think it's important that we not only emphasize the personal, subjective nature of our faith, but the historic and and objective side of our faith, the witness of Holy Scripture. Uh, Years ago, when our children were small, we were attending an elementary school literature fair that one of our children had been involved in. And you just walk around the literature fair and you read the works of poetry and you read the essays and you read the, uh, the biographies that the children had written of famous people. And it was a wonderful little event. And, and in one creative writing section, the children were allowed to write anything they wanted to write on any subject. And one little girl had written, Dear Tooth Fairy, are you real? If you're real, write me. You know, she was saying, is this the real deal? If you are, let me know. I need something objective to go with this subjective stuff that I've been hearing. And you know, sometimes our hearts cry out, Jesus, you know, it's been a long time since you walked the earth. Are you real? Well, we know he's real, not only by personal experience. I'm not minimizing that. But we know he's real because he's written us. He's written us. We have this witness of Scripture. And you see, it's a perfect balance because Jesus is the key to understanding Scripture. And Scripture is the key to understanding Jesus. If you want to understand Jesus, know the Scriptures. And if you want to know the Scriptures, then understand Jesus. It's just two parts of a beautiful whole truth. And we need all of those all the time. And you know, even in our Bible study small groups, our community groups on Sunday morning or during the week or any Bible study you're in, you need both. You need both the subjective, the personal experiences with Christ, but we also need that objective truth, the witness of Scripture. In fact, if you only have one, you don't have enough. If all we do is focus on the witness of Scripture... It can get a little dry. It can seem too theoretical, sort of up here in the atmosphere while we're living life down in the trenches. But if we neglect the other way around and we focus only on the personal experience and neglect the Scripture, then our gatherings become sort of inward-focused and and, uh, narcissistic and and, uh, self-consumed without that external witness of Scripture. So they both go beautifully together. And I want to just testify to you from my own experience of the Christian walk and of leading congregations. There is simply no substitute. There is simply no substitute for a sustained, systematic, regular, disciplined study of Scripture, of God's Word. Because in God's Word, 
we experience the living Christ and the terror and the delight of walking in him and the wonder of all that begins to come back to us. And I really think Luke saw the same thing because in three verses in this closing chapter of Luke's gospel, he mentions how scripture opens us up. We didn't read the earlier verses, but in verse 31, after that Emmaus Road episode, scripture says Jesus opened their eyes. In verse 32, the very next verse, scripture says Jesus opened scriptures. And then the verse we just read, verse 45, scripture says Jesus opened their minds. There's this constant emphasis in Luke that nothing happens of significance until there is this opening up of mind, of scripture, of eyes to see what Jesus has for us. But let's just say for argument's sake that you're still not there. Let's just say for argument's sake that you're struggling this morning and the wonder of the risen Christ isn't isn't working for you. There isn't that sense of terror and delight that that this cosmic Christ is in you and around you, and and you're struggling with that a little bit. That happens sometimes. There are spiritual seasons to our lives. Here's a suggestion. If nothing else is working for you, I have a suggestion. Just roll up your sleeves and do something for Jesus. Sometimes all the study in the world won't help. Sometimes all the dialogue with somebody else at an intellectual level won't make a difference. Sometimes even our prayers seems to be, seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes the only thing that works is to roll up your sleeves and do something for Jesus. The risen Christ is best known when we participate with him in his mission. The risen Christ is best experienced and best felt when we join him in his mission. I believe that's why Luke closes this out by by showing us that as soon as Jesus showed them scripture, he says, now remember that repentance and forgiveness needs to be preached to all nations. And you are witnesses of these things. And you go and wait and the Holy Spirit will clothe himself He'll wrap himself around you. Jesus said, you go get busy in mission and I, the risen Christ, will show up among you and I will be everywhere in you and around you. But you may not experience it until you roll up your sleeves and get busy. We don't experience the risen Christ by sitting on Sunday morning and soaking. We experience him by going and doing. I recently gave my wife a... uh, wedding anniversary card, and I bought one of those anniversary cards that had glitter all over the front of it. I'm working for all the points I can get, guys. Make note. It had glitter all over the front of it, and and I didn't realize it, but in handing it to her, I got glitter all over my hands and all over my jacket. Have you ever handed somebody a Christmas present or a birthday present or a card, and it's one that has glitter on it or glitter on the the ribbon, and, and you hand it to them, and before you know it, you've got glitter all over you? Well, that's the way it is with Jesus. When we try to give Jesus away, the resurrection glitter gets on us too. When we try to share Christ, the living Christ glitter gets on us too. Here's what I've noticed in my life. 
The more I share Christ, the more I grow in Christ. Have you noticed that? And here's something else I've noticed about my life. When I've hit a a blah spot, a plateau, when I uh, just sort of uh, don't feel like anything's working inside, I just go visit a homebound person. Or I do something for somebody that they weren't expecting. And no amount of study can help me experience the power of the risen Christ the way I do when I give him away. Because when I give him away, I get resurrection glitter all over me. He just works that way. I know of a a man who uh, worked in insurance and then he retired. And for four years of retirement, he was absolutely miserable. Bored out of his head. Finally, he decided he was going to do something about it, and he started working for Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Arkansas. And because of his interest and background, he began designing trailers with showers in them, just the the hitch behind trailers with showers in them. Well, lo and behold, shortly after he started that little project, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana and the Gulf. And they could not make and send those showered, uh, shower-installed uh, trailers fast enough. And this man shared his testimony with tears in his eyes. And he said, There is nothing that has made the risen Christ real in my life like this doing of the gospel. This doing of the gospel has absolutely transformed my life. See, because he got glitter on him. He shared what he knew. He did what he could, unselfishly, and he got glitter on him. That's why we've talked so much about the encouragement to be a part of next Sunday's mission, J.C. Because we love this community and we want to touch this community, but I have to confess there's a little bit of a selfish motive in it. We want you to get some Jesus glitter on you. We want you to experience something you cannot experience by sitting in a classroom or sitting in a worship service. There is a way that the risen Christ comes among us when we're doing the gospel. And yes, there is terror, but there's also delight in that experience. Let's pray together.